But I have a few questions for you. Go ahead, Kathy. Anybody sick and tired of gridlock in New York City? Yeah, yeah me. Anybody think we deserve better transit, especially those who live and work here? What'd you, what the heck, what'd you say? Think people with disabilities deserve to have more accessibility when they yeah. travel through this city? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, yeah. Anybody want cleaner air for our kids and for future generations? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, clean air. Well, then you love congestion pricing, right? Yeah. What? No, well, no, hell no, you crazy bitch. <laughs> Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for joining me. You know I appreciate it. I do. I really appreciate it. That's why I try to tell you all the time. So anyway, thanks for joining me. And uh, that voice you just heard, that was Kathy Hochul, the uh, governor of New York. And it's, uh, it's just so damn funny, right? Because modern politics just giveth. Because as I was writing this episode, <laughs> for a while now, I've been working on this one. That clip is from yesterday. <laughs> I didn't even plan on, on using I didn't even know she was going to do that. She is basically talking about the first step in creating a uh, sort of official 15-minute city in New York City. And we'll get into a little bit more about that in the episode. But it's just amazing. Because it's, it just feels like every single day, you know, these, um, <laughs> these lizards are doing something else to try and uh, separate us from our God-given freedoms. In this case, our, our freedom of movement, our freedom to just move around. Because they love that. They, they want to put us in a cage. <laughs> they want to put us in a camp. That is what we will be talking about today. Not the good kind of camps. Not the kind of uh, camps like summer camp. No, no, no. We're going to be talking about the mandatory kind. <laughs> That's the kind that they want us all in. And when I lived in New York City, there were two people that I mercilessly trolled online. Because I've always been a, uh, I'll say, a fan of politics. I have always followed politics, always paid attention to it. But I zeroed in on the two people that I thought were the most idiotic <laughs> in New York City. And one of those was Kathy Hochul. And at the time, she was just the mere lieutenant governor <laughs> of the state. She didn't really have any power. But I thought she was just one of the most awful and ridiculous creatures slithering across New York. <laughs> and so I used to mercilessly troll her. The other one was a woman named Gail Brewer who was the Manhattan borough president, <laughs> which, which in itself, the, uh, the position doesn't do almost anything. But uh, this woman was so old and decrepit and out of touch and just ridiculous. <laughs> she was like Joe Biden before Joe Biden. But anyway, I used to troll these two really bad. Um, I get blocked and create new accounts, switch social medias and whatnot. And it was just my life's joy trolling them too. But now, 
Now Kathy Hochul has risen to such prominence and power. It makes me fear for my life. <laughs> She's going to come after me, I think. Uh, if she knows who I am. She probably knows who I am. There's, there's probably um, artificial intelligence monitoring all of this, and I'm sure they've zeroed in on me as the, uh, as the person who epically and horrifically trolled them. Um, <laughs> and now that she has come to supreme power, I should be scared. But um, anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me. As always, thank you so much for the uh, likes, the shares, the subscribes, all that good stuff that you do. And uh, thank you so much for <clears throat> making the t-shirt promotion work. Those are all going out. But uh, like with all good things, it has to come to an end. I will maybe do another one of those in the new year. So keep an eye on that. And uh, those of you who send me email, you'll be getting your shirts. Now, I don't normally do this. I don't normally get on here and take a victory lap. But every once in a while, I just have to do it. So, <laughs> so I'm going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to do that now. Because there were a bunch of stories that broke. And I feel like I have to mention them. I feel like I have to just tell you about how accurate I was here. And... Um, did you see the story about the Google AI, the Google neural network, and what it thought about the moon landing pictures? <laughs> well, Google's AI thought that the moon landing photos were fake. <laughs> and if you've been listening to this show, you'll know that I think those photos are fake. <laughs> now, keep in mind, uh, this was like... This was from a Russian source. There's a video of uh, Putin asking about it and uh, whatever computer nerd explaining to him that, that yes, indeed, the Google AI does think that the moon landing photos are fake. So it might be Russian propaganda. I don't know. <laughs> but I'll victory lap with it. <laughs> and um, speaking of Putin, on a less exciting note, I just have to say I was right about the Ukraine war. So if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, I did say pretty much right, right when I uh, got this microphone that that Ukraine war just can't be won. It's not going to be won, you, uh, you know, by anyone but Russia anyway. And then it was ridiculous that we're even taking part in it. And now here we are a couple of years later and our State Department is basically telling Ukraine to negotiate. Oh, boy. Do you feel stupid now for putting up the Ukraine flag when they told you to? Do you feel like maybe you should have just waited on that one? Uh, anyway, uh, it's not that funny, though. It's not that funny because, like, half a million Ukraine men have died in this stupid war that, that means nothing now because they're just telling everyone, hey, yeah, no big deal, go home. Negotiate with Russia. Yeah, the plan didn't work. What's half a million dead people between friends anyway? No big deal. So anyway, there you go. Victory lapping on that one. I said that war couldn't be won when the entirety of the media was out here telling us about how Putin would fall and he would be, uh, you know, regime change and all this, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Russia has just gotten stronger and richer and uh, there's a bunch of dead people. Not cool. Not cool. But you know, the real victory lap that I want to take, those first two were just warming up to this one, is about the episode I did on the Israel-Palestine conflict. 
because my episode on that conflict came out less than two weeks after October 7th. And I've got to say, now about two months or so in, that episode was really accurate. And it's becoming what I said is increasingly becoming the accepted narrative. Now, when I said that I was going to do an episode on that, there were people around me who were like, don't do an episode. Don't touch that one with a 30-foot pole. You can't talk about that one because it's Israel. You can't talk about it. And, uh, you know, I felt compelled to do it. And uh, and now I'm just being, being proven right. And uh, it feels good. It does feel good, I got to say, because people are starting to realize what a tragic situation it is. Uh, support for that war is dropping like a stone uh, outside of the U.S. and the Western world. Almost nobody supports the war, and uh, they are quite aware of Israel's war crimes on the situation. So uh, that makes me feel good. Makes me feel good to be right about it quickly. I do work hard to bring accurate information. And although it was a bit nerve-wracking to talk about that one so early, I do feel vindicated now. So thank you to anyone who listened to that episode. And um, I did get a uh, little bit of feedback from you guys on it. So thank you for that. So uh, yeah, here I am in my uh, basement. No budget. No foreign correspondence. (laughs) And uh, just getting it right. So let's talk about the next subject at hand. Let's let's talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. And that is uh, camping. A lot of talk about camps lately. And so it's been on my mind. It has me thinking about this, uh, you know, this idea of uh, keeping people in camps. And again, we're not talking about the summer camps. We're not talking about glamping. We're not talking about backpacking. Although I could tell you about backpacking because uh, truth be told, I could take a little bit of a victory lap on that one too, because I, I completed an epic backpacking trip when I was just a very young man, which you know what? Maybe if you live in the woods or something, it's not that big of a deal. But for me being a, uh, uh, being from the big city of Southern California, Backpacking was not something most of us did. But anyway, I did an epic backpacking journey. I was the youngest person to ever complete that particular uh, trip uh, that I know of uh, in that organization. But anyway, we're not talking about that kind of camping. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about the concentration variety of camping. Because they're coming here. (laughs) I hate to say it, but they are coming to a town near you. In fact, they're going on right now. Maybe not year, maybe not near you yet, but they are going to be because we're trending in that direction, right? That is the direction that we are going to. We are trending toward totalitarianism, and objects in motion tend to stay at motion, and um, that motion right now is toward our enslavement, ultimately. And so we can look at our situation right now and we can project into the future. And, uh, and then I can explain to you why we are way too close to this prison camp scenario that I will be laying out for you. But let's back up a little bit. Before we start uh, going down the future road, 
Let's look at the past a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the precedent that we have for uh, for these kind of camps. Because you got to know where you've been to know where you're going. And uh, prison camps or concentration camps, I have to imagine that they go back, I don't know, as far as humanity. Seems like people want to keep other people uh, in prison. Seems like, uh, I don't know, seems like part of our humanity, unfortunately. But I don't want to go back that far because, uh, again, I'm just a guy in my basement. I don't have a research team. So let's talk about just the modern history of these things. Everyone's familiar with the Nazi camps, right? You're all familiar with those. I should hope so. Uh, we, we mostly hear about those, um, I don't know, like the, the death camp variety, the extermination camp. These would be your um, uh, what the, uh, Auschwitz and uh, it's, uh, uh, like Treblinka. Those were the uh, extermination variety of camps. And uh, there were a handful of those, if my memory serves me. And uh, it, within those facilities, uh, six million or so Jews were killed in those camps. Logistically, that does seem difficult, doesn't it? Especially with those wooden doors on the ovens. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't send me nasty emails on that. That's a joke. Uh, I think it's been long enough. I can make a joke. And uh, if you don't know the uh, the criticism, the uh, the people who who get called Holocaust deniers, that's what they believe. They they don't believe the number is uh, six million, and they they can point to uh, pictures of ovens or whatever that have wooden doors. None of it that I find all that compelling. So, so before you go emailing me, I'm, I, I don't necessarily believe that. And, uh, <laughs> so don't, uh, don't yell at me. All right. I, I just have to know this stuff. Cause I have to know what everyone says about a topic. And by the way, I've, I've got no love for Nazis because, uh, politically me and the, uh, the Nazis don't align anyway. And, um, you know, national socialist, nationalist socialist, not into that. I mean, I might be a bit of a nationalist in that uh, I believe we should do a little bit to preserve our culture, but, uh, you know, by ways of supporting government and their sovereignty to rule over us, I'm not much of a nationalist. And I'm certainly, definitely not a socialist. No way in hell, because I don't want other people controlling the means of my production. I would like to control my own. So anyway... <laughs> Don't send me the angry emails because you know what? If it wasn't 6 million, even if it was 60,000 or 6,000 for that matter, I don't believe in violence against peaceable people by a government in, in any way. So, so the Nazis get no love for me. Anyway, I shouldn't have made that joke, I guess, because here I am <laughs> defending it. But you know, I got it. You got to know this stuff. You got to know, you got to know what everyone thinks about these topics. But anyway, those death camps that I just mentioned and went off on this tangent, they uh, they make up basically a small fraction of the total amount of camps that were going on in World War II. There were tons of them. There were like 40,000 camps during uh, during World War II. And, and they weren't just for, for Jews. They were locking up all kinds of people, like Jehovah's Witness, 
and uh, gypsies and gays. They had all kinds of people in these uh, camps, and there was a ton of them. There was a lot of people in prison, millions and millions of people imprisoned in these camps. And that was just of the Nazi variety. But in a similar time frame, you also have the Soviet Union, which were, um, they had instituted these uh, policies called, uh, they were gulag policies. Generally, when we say gulag, uh, now we're kind of referring to the camps or the facilities themselves. But uh, gulag was the name of the policy. And they had these forced labor camps. And uh, there were a bunch of those too. Lots of forced labor camps. And uh, 2 million deaths can be attributed to just those uh, forced labor camps alone. And there is really kind of spartial, spartial. (laughs) I was going to say sparse. I was going to say partial. I said spartial. And yes, so the the records are not really complete for that. But but there was 20, 30 million people that passed through these things and lived in them at some point. And uh, that's a really high death rate. And, um, you know, just Soviet um, policies in general uh, between the, the, the camps and the, 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 the famines and uh, their other policies. We're talking like 30 million people dead because of those policies. So it's a lot of them, a lot of people dead at the hands of their government. And um, there were even some lesser known camps, some camps during World War II that you might not really know about. And uh, these are uh, right here in America. These were the Japanese internment camps of World War II. And there were a bunch of these too. Yeah, not quite as much as the other ones. They weren't as violent, but they did exist. There were like 75 of these camps and they were kind of all up and down the West Coast and sort of in the Western region of the United States. And there was 125,000 people in these camps. All of these... um, you know, uh, uh, Japanese people, or quite frankly, maybe even people that just looked Japanese. You never know. Um, but these were between 1942 and 1946. So it's four years uh, that some people could have been locked in these camps in total. In fact, quite a few people were locked in them for the total amount of time of four years. And there was no trial. Essentially, they just sent, you know, Japanese and and Japanese Americans, for that matter, because two-thirds of the people in these camps were, were U.S. citizens, so Japanese Americans. And they were put in this camp because uh, apparently they represented a threat to the United States because of Pearl Harbor. Yikes. Man, I, <laughs> I'm not into blood libel, but uh, I guess some of your uh, countrymen uh, attack a harbor, and then you all get locked up. It's pretty crazy to think that happened right here in America. I hope we have uh, uh, moved past that. Certainly hope we have. And because, uh, by the way, that was Franklin Roosevelt, you know, the the uh, the champion of human rights, Franklin Roosevelt. Oh, goodness gracious. But but what do all these all these camps have um, have in common? What do all these uh, uh, camps? What do they represent? They are, they're holding enemies of the ruling regime. And, um, you know, they, they tell us that, especially in the, the Nazi uh, concentration camps and the death camps, they, they tell the, 
us that that was like a religious hatred or whatever. But it wasn't really about that. Uh, the Jews weren't killed just for being Jewish. They they were killed and they were they were locked up because they represented some kind of threat to the ruling regime. And I and I don't mean to downplay you know what happened to them. I'm just saying that um, you know you can practice religion as long as you want, and if it doesn't interfere with the rulers, they don't care. They don't really care what you believe. They only care when it starts to represent a threat to their rule, which it oftentimes does. Because, quite frankly, if you believe in God and, uh, you know, you believe that he's uh, all-powerful, omnipotent God, then uh, government in comparison, well, doesn't even compare. I mean, what is government? When, uh, when your rules actually come from God. And these, uh, these camps I talked, they weren't that long ago. These, this is like 80 years ago. Essentially, my great-grandmother could have been in one of these camps. I mean, she's, she's not with us anymore, but uh, she would have been like 30 years old in one of these Japanese camps. She's not Japanese either, by the way, so she wouldn't have been in one of the camps. You know what? If she was Japanese, she might still be alive. <laughs> Japanese people live for a long time. Uh, Mamie. My uh, my great-grandmother's name was Mamie. She was great. Glad she wasn't in a uh, Japanese internment camp. Anyway, let's get a little closer to the modern age. Let's come a little bit closer than the uh, 80-year-old examples I gave you. And uh, right now, there's a lot of examples of it. Not... Uh, a lot that I, that I can't be too specific about because a lot of these are small, small examples of that. Like there's a lot of, there's actually slaves right now in Africa. There, there are actually people that are owned by other people. So when you, when you talk about being a prisoner, you know, I guess it can exist as a physical facility that you're in, but it can, it can also exist as just being a slave to somebody else. And it's not just Africa. I mean, this goes on in Asia, too. And, um, you know, disgusting, right? Humans owned by other humans. They have no rights whatsoever. That is awful to me. There's another glaring example right now that we have to talk about because it is uh, it's pretty important at the moment. And this particular camp seems to be moving from its concentration phase and into the extermination phase, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about Gaza. I'm talking about the Palestinians. Because Gaza is an open-air prison. You know, open-air might be a little bit too nice of a description. I'll, I'll explain. But let's think about what would define a prison camp. What are the I guess qualities that make a prison camp a prison camp. Well, on the uh, on one side in a prison camp, you are uh, no rights, no freedom whatsoever. On the other side, on the free side, you have uh, you have total freedom. Uh, I guess you could move around freely. You could leave. You can come and go as you please. You control all of your own resources, like your food and everything like that. You. Um, you have total agency, or at least at a very minimum, I guess you're represented by your government, um, which is not totally free, but we're kind of splitting hairs there. 
But uh, also you'd be in control of your own body if you're totally free and, and all the inputs that, uh, that go into it. Now, contrast that with what's happening in Gaza. And I explained some of the history of that in the previous episodes. So go listen to those if you're interested in Gaza. But um, the import, important point to explain that Gaza is basically a prison camp is that since 2007, Gaza has been completely closed. The people there cannot leave. There are no open borders to it whatsoever. So this tiny place that's like seven miles by 23 miles, whatever it is, tiny place, totally locked. Nobody can leave. Uh, That sounds like a prison to me. And uh, there's no airport because uh, Israel destroyed that. They won't let them rebuild it. There's no seaport because uh, 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 Israel won't approve plans of it because, by the way, Gaza is Israel. They have total control over it. And uh, the, the other thing is the people in Gaza can't go to the West Bank, which is where kind of the other half of their nation is. They got split into these two areas, and now they don't even have access to the other half. So there's, you know, presumably families that are separated, and they they can't get to one another. And um, they're it's totally controlled. Uh, uh, no control over their resources whatsoever. Uh, there's not many there anyway, except for maybe the oil that's under their feet. But I think that's a different topic for a different day. And the reason I said open air might be a little unfair is uh, because, you know, they don't they don't have control over the airspace above uh, Gaza either. So even if they had an airport, uh, they they don't have control over the airspace. And uh, they can barely use the Mediterranean Sea for you know a bit of fishing and stuff. But uh, they have no no agency. Uh, no, uh, no government representation. These people are totally occupied. They get thrown in prison all the time and abused by the Israelis. It is the definition of a prison camp. And it's happening right now. Right now. <laughs> that is ongoing. It's happening right now. It's been going on for, you know, 20 years in its sort of modern incantation. And that, uh, that sucks. <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> I don't like that. But, um, but there's something going on right now that is, um, I'll say, paralleling what is going on in Gaza with a, a less sinister name. And this is called the 15-Minute Cities. Have you heard about 15-Minute Cities? I hope you have. Because they want you to live in one. (laughs) And uh, when I say it's paralleling what's happening in Gaza, it's because I think Gaza is basically the model 15-minute city. And these 15-minute cities, what are they? What do they want for you and your 15-minute city? The concept and the reason they're named 15-minute cities is because everything you need should be within a 15-minute walk. All right. Well, actually, that doesn't sound so bad. I like to walk places. That seems cool. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) That's just the beginning, though, because part of this plan that the elite planners are creating for us in our 15-minute cities is that the walking part is not an option. (laughs) They don't want you to have any options. Because this 15-minute city is like Hotel California. 
because you can't never leave. <laughs> and um, how these work, because right now it's just basically a financial thing. Right now, unlike Gaza, there aren't people with guards to try and keep you out uh, or in, I guess I should say. And so some examples of these, they have them in um, they have them in England. They uh, just like the intro to the show in New York City. Essentially, what these things are is that uh, uh, camera systems and uh, facial recognition. And uh, in the case of New York City, it's going to be plate recognition because it's for cars. And what it is, is it's going to enforce the traffic in and out of these 15-minute city zones. And so if you're in there when you shouldn't be, or if you leave there when you shouldn't, you're going to receive a fine. Now, in the the ones in England, uh, these ones are called uh, LEZ, or L-E-Z, Low Emission Zones. And these cameras there are actual facial recognition, and they will track you whether you go in and out of these zones. And right now, I haven't seen any harsh penalties for them, but you have to imagine if they're instituting the technology that they're actually going to put it to work, and they're actually going to enforce these things. In the case of New York City, eh, they just don't want you driving in their city, so they're going to charge you if you're there. And so that's why when Kathy Hochul screams for, like, whatever, road use fees or whatever, it's insane. It's insane because her and her rich buddies don't care about it. They all get private cars to take them around wherever they're going. They all, um, you know, they probably fly helicopters in. But the rest of us, the rest of us have to drive cars and we have to pay for cabs. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the plan is idiotic. But anyway... Let's think about what these 15-minute cities are and how they parallel prisons. Well, it's pretty easy because you can't leave. They're trying to control your going in and out of them. And now, what does that mean? That also means that the inputs will be controlled. Because unless you live on a 15-minute farm, everything that you eat or drink or consume is going to have to come into there. And it's going to have to get in there by a vendor or something which is going to have to be government approved. So it is a prison. There is no free movement in and out of it, and it's all tracked and it's all traced. And, you know, by the way, the, the way they're getting away with, uh, I don't know, trying to sell you on this stupid idea of a 15-minute city is they're blaming it on climate change. Wouldn't you know it's climate change? You know, you have to live in a prison camp because the climate is changing and it's your fault. But if you didn't know, climate change is a scam. That's one of the episodes I have coming up, so stay tuned for that. It's a total scam. Climate change is made up out of whole cloth, and um, it's totally fake. Uh, Carbon dioxide is what plants breathe. So uh, it makes the earth green, and um, if the psychopaths want less carbon dioxide, there's going to be less food for everyone. So um, anyway, we don't need less carbon dioxide we need more of it so um so that's insane so anyway yeah these 15 minute cities are popping up everywhere and that is because of agenda 2030 this is basically what all of your governments are following even down to the local level because 
at least here in America, the way it works is that the federal government strong arms all of the smaller governments underneath its nasty, slithering belly. And it does this by withholding funding. Because here in the U.S., we pay the lion's share of our taxes to the federal government, and then they just redistribute these as bribes to the uh, to the states, counties, cities, whatever. Anyone they need to bribe, they do it with our own money. So anyway, Agenda 2030 is basically all these insane policies that you see this is coming from Agenda 2030, and um, it's a socialist wet dream. And um, what they what do they want for you? Well, they want everyone to have the same thing, which is basically nothing. And um, they tell you that. They tell you that on the, um, what is it, the World Economic Forum, they came out with a video that said, you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, I won't be happy. <laughs> I don't want your shitty plan. <laughs> But uh, what else is Agenda 2030 about? They they also call it sustainable development, you know, because they love to use double speak to um, to uh, to fool you. Because if they said we want to keep you in an open air prison, that doesn't sound so nice. So they call it sustainable development, so that you'll think it's okay. And so what do they want? They want basically everyone to live in cities. They don't want people living in rural areas. Uh, they don't want you to eat meat. You're not going to be able to eat meat anymore which is, by the way, the most healthy and nutrient thing that you can eat. So that means they want you to be unhealthy. Uh, they don't want you to have a car, so they don't want you to be able to travel very far. They will make sure you take vaccines for everything. They want to pump you full of drugs. Because you know what? If they pump you full of vaccines, you'll die quicker, and then they don't have to feed you. Uh, they want uh, gender equality. That's going to be a tough one, because right now they're telling us that... Uh, you know, gender's in your imagination, so love to see how they're going to square that circle. And uh, they want clean energy, which basically means no energy. That's not to say that clean energy won't have a place in the future, because I do believe there's low-energy nuclear reactors that are possible. I, I also believe there is a place for uh, renewables. Uh, you know, solar and stuff can be a, a good adjunct. But right now, those technologies don't produce enough power. And so when they say that they will only use clean energy, that means you're not going to get much energy at all. Uh, they want to reduce inequality, which I will assume means that we'll all be equal. We'll all be living like billionaires, right? No, of course not. We're not all going to be living like billionaires. We're all going to be living like slaves in prison. And, um, but not them. <laughs> no, they will still be living like billionaires. They will still be flying in their uh, private jets. They will still be eating steaks. And um, they will still live in their country estates outside of the prison city walls. Because this is for you. This is for you. This is for me. It's not for them. Because they're the important people. Us, our job is to work, to pay them taxes, to uh, take their drugs and then to die, <laughs> basically. I mean, that is the trope, right? You've heard it. The only two constants in life are pay taxes and then you die. How'd they get us believing that shit? They did, though. It worked. <laughs> People believe that. You kind of have to. They're the ones with uh, <laughs> they're the ones with the militaries and the guns, and they'll kick your door down if you don't pay your taxes. Or so I've been told. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. 
But uh, but anyway, maybe you don't want to live in a 15-minute city. Maybe you're like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to live in a 15-minute city. That's not for me. Well, too bad, because <laughs> you're going to do it anyway. And if you don't believe me, well, they've already got the laws in place, and they've been working on it for a long time now, while none of us were paying attention. The uh, the most recent development, the... Uh, <laughs> The first way that they're going to get you into a prison camp is by renaming it slightly. They're not going to call it a prison camp. They're not even going to call it a 15-minute city because this one, (laughs) rather than using cameras to keep you in, they're going to use guns. And that's because this kind is a quarantine camp. Yes, do you remember COVID-19 so many eons ago, the fake virus that they got everyone to fall for? You remember the one, right? (laughs) You remember the one that the government got absolutely everything wrong about? Uh, You know, the one where they forced you to take their their poison that the drug companies were going to profit hugely off of? Well, COVID is over, but the psychopaths are still at it. So let me, uh, I'm going to (laughs) read, I'm going to read from an article on this one about the uh, quarantine camps from uh, from none other than Kathy Hochul. <laughs> and uh, this article is from The Defender, which is RFK Jr.'s publication. And this is from uh, a couple of weeks ago now. It says, The New York State Supreme Court Appellate Division issued a ruling last week that effectively paves the way for Quarantine camps. Okay. It says the court's November 17th decision reversed a lower court's ruling that determined the March 2020 emergency rule that established isolation and quarantine procedures was unconstitutional. So that was nice. I guess, uh, I don't know, a little while ago, a court said that it was unconstitutional to uh, have isolation and quarantine procedures, which makes sense for free people. But uh, this most recent court, they they overturned that. They said, nope, we want to keep people in prison camps. You got to let us do it. And it says that the, uh, the Department of Health later sought to make the rule permanent by establishing procedures through which the state health officials could isolate or quarantine against their will People who had or were suspected of having a highly contagious communicable disease. So there you go. All they have to do is suspect that you have one of their made-up diseases and then they can put you in an isolation or quarantine camp in the state of New York. And so the reason this most current ruling was shot down was because that they said the plaintiff in the case didn't have standing. Because in order to sue, you had to have suffering. So I guess what the judge is saying is that until they lock you away in one of these camps, you haven't been a victim of it. Therefore, you don't get to sue. All right. Well, I guess we'll all sue from behind the barbed wire fence at the quarantine camp. Huh. Huh. That's no good. 
And here's a statement from the uh, the attorney that just kind of describes what they're doing here. Let me read that for you, too. It says the Department of Health has full power. There's no judge involved. You don't get the right to an attorney until after you're locked up. There's no need for them to prove you're sick. There's no need for them to prove that you were exposed. There's no need for them to prove you're a public health threat to those around you. They can just lock you up or lock you down according to their whim, however long they want, because that's all they have to do. All they have to do is declare an emergency, and all of a sudden, they got the power to lock you in a camp. Now, you might be saying, Sean, that sounds a little crazy to me. I don't think they can just lock you in a camp. That's the state of New York. But our federal government would never allow something like that to happen. They can't just lock you in a camp. Well, you know what? Maybe they can. Because I have a document here from February of 2010. And this is a document from the Department of the Army. And this document is titled Internment and Resettlement Operation. And this is a big-ass document. It's 325 pages long. And what it does is it lays out all of the details for how they intern and resettle people. And most of the document is talking about how they do this in war situations. And so generally, they're kind of referring to war zones and places overseas. Not that it's any better to lock those people up, but... Uh, it shouldn't apply to us, right, as U.S. citizens? Well, except it does apply to us. In fact, if you uh, go to page 38 of this massive 325-page document, it actually says uh, support to civil support operations, section 2-39. Civil support is the DOD support to the U.S. civil authorities for domestic emergencies and for designated law enforcement and other activities. It goes on to say natural or man-made disasters, accidents, terrorist attacks, and incidents in the U.S. and its territories. So, yeah, unfortunately... Uh, it does apply to us. At least the army thinks that it does. And by the way, if you think the army is this uh, great defender of your freedom, woo, you might want to think again. Because when they come to lock you in one of these camps, it's not going to be that that based soldier that uh, you know is fighting for uh, for your freedom. Because he got kicked out of the military for not taking the vaccine. No, the person who's going to lock you into the camp, they're going to have the purple hair and the nose ring and the pronouns and the guns. And they're going to put you in the camp. <laughs> and by the way, in this document, it does say that you can't, that they, not we, that the army can use deadly force in these camps. And what is one of the reasons they can use deadly force? And I am quoting an active escape. So if you're escaping, they can kill you. 
At least that's what the army document says. And um, by the way, would you like to be one of these purple-haired nose ring trannies with a gun? Well, you can do it because right now, if you go to GoArmy.com, you can you can enlist and become an internment and resettlement specialist. That's right. That's right. The actual job that I am describing in this document is available on GoArmy.com. So go there and sign up to enlist so that you can become an internment and resettlement specialist. That way you can shoot the people who are trying to leave. Oh, man. It wouldn't be so funny if it wasn't true. But it is true. (laughs) And you know what? This isn't the only instance of it. You might be saying, like, yeah, that's just some document from 2010. But what do you know? Well, I do know that... uh, Let's see, where's the other document I have here? And uh, in 2012, uh, Barack Obama, you know, the other <laughs> the other lover of human rights, at the end of a drone. Uh, oh, in 2012, Obama signed the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, and they sign these things all the time, but the 2012 one was a little bit different from the other ones. And um, this is from uh, from the publication The Intercept, and this is from uh, May of 2018. So again, Obama signed it in 2012. But the article I'm reading from about the uh, particular NDAA that Obama signed, this is from 2018. It's from The Intercept, and uh, the piece is entitled, uh, New Bipartisan Bill Could Give Any President the Power to Imprison U.S. Citizens in a Military Detention Forever. A new authorization to use military force supposedly aimed at restricting presidential power could expand it in a terrifying way. The piece goes on and says one of the most outrageous acts of Barack Obama's presidency was his failure to veto the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2012. The 2012 NDAA included provisions that appeared to both codify and expand the power of the executive branch. The power to hold individuals, including U.S. citizens, in a military detention facility indefinitely. Yikes, that doesn't sound good. And you know what? They could have fixed it. They could have just taken that part out. But the government and the Obama government specifically, they wanted that part in there. They really did. And you don't have to take my word for it. Let me play a clip for you about how the government was specifically intent on keeping that particular part of the NDAA that said they could lock you up in a military detention facility indefinitely. Here you go. And I'm wondering whether the senator is familiar with the fact that the language, the language which precluded the application of Section 1031 to American citizens was in the bill that we originally approved in the Armed Services Committee. And the administration asked us to remove the language which says that U.S. citizens and lawful residents would not be subject to this section. Is the senator familiar with the fact that it was the administration that asked us to remove the very language which we had in the bill which passed the committee and that we removed it at the request of the administration 
that would have said the app that this determination would not apply to U.S. citizens and lawful residents. I'm just wondering, is the senator familiar with the fact that it was the administration which asked us to remove the very language, the absence of which is now objected to by the senator from Illinois? Well, there you have it. <laughs> See, that's a guy named Senator Carl Levin talking about how uh, how the government specifically must have that particular part in there that says they have to be able to lock up their citizens in a military detention facility. So is that enough proof for you? Is that enough proof that they want to put you in a camp? Well, at least the listeners of this show, because if you're listening to this, you are probably on the shit list, unfortunately. So, uh, you know what? Maybe you say, Sean, you know what? You're being paranoid. You're just being paranoid because, yes, these things exist, but they're there for our protection. These things are there to make sure that we're safe. Well, first of all, if you think that the government loves you and is trying to protect you, you haven't been paying attention to this show. <laughs> because my body of work should show that that is not the case. But also, <clears throat> let me just give you a quick for instance, and then we'll wrap this up. Here's the for instance. If you think that the government cares about you and is doing this stuff to protect you, well, during the rollout of the COVID vaccine, our government is supposed to monitor these vaccines for safety. And they have a system set up to do that. It's called VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. And they have it there because they love us, right? Well, you know, uh, yeah, it's there, but they don't really use it and they don't really give a shit about our safety. So reading here from a piece by Steve Kirsch, Steve Kirsch is a, uh, if you don't know who he is, he is, uh, well, he's a really smart guy. <laughs> he, uh, he invented the optical mouse for one. So the mouse that I'm using right at this moment, he invented it. He's uh, one of these real smart engineer guys from MIT, and uh, he even has like a, I don't know, wing of the school or something named after him. So anyway, uh, reading from his piece, his substack, it says here, the title of it, Safety Signals for 770 Different Serious Adverse Events in VAERS Were Ignored by the CDC. It says the safety signals were generated in the VAERS system for death and 769 other severe adverse events. So what exactly does that mean? That means that the system uh, takes all these reports, all these inputs, and when there is a signal that something is going wrong, this uh, system generates a, uh, a signal, a warning of some kind, and that is supposed to alert uh, organizations like the CDC who are supposed to take action when one of these signals presents itself uh, because of how dangerous the product is. So what happened when all of these 770 uh, serious adverse event signals went off in the VAERS system? Well, the CDC just said it was over-reporting. They just said, ah, there's too many of them. That's over-reporting. Well, let me ask you a question. If there's a system that's meant to count 
the serious adverse events, i.e. the injuries and deaths caused by a drug, and your system starts to go haywire, is your first thought, well, that must just be too many reports. Or should your first thought be, yeah, seems like this drug is hurting an awful lot of people. Well, they didn't. They didn't care. And um, so there you go. Your government does not love you. And when they should be doing things to protect your safety, they are clearly not doing it. Because this wasn't five adverse event signals. This wasn't 10. This wasn't 70 signals. This was 770 different signals from that awful and deadly drug. So if you still think that the government cares about your safety and your well-being, you need to start thinking differently because they're going to hurt you if you listen to them. So anyway, have I made my case? (laughs) Have I made my case that uh, your government, wherever you are, is not opposed to imprisoning you, to keeping you in a camp, or worse, killing you in a camp? You know, I love that quote from Michael Malice. He says, uh, he says, they want you dead, but they will settle for your submission. It's a great quote. But there is a step in between those two points. There is a step between your submission and your death. And I guess that's the camp that they're going to keep you in. It's the camp option. Yeah, that's right. It's the 15-minute city option. Because uh, your submission it w- will be, <laughs> they want you in the 15-minute city. That's right. The uh, show us your papers so you can leave the city. So anyway, <laughs> what are your options? I always like to end with something positive because, ooh, this one's a doozy, isn't it? So what are your options? What are your what do you what can you do about this? Well, first of all, when they try to load you on the uh, on the box train car, don't get on the train. The first thing, don't get on the train. And, uh, and the second step I would say is don't trust your government. Don't trust your government because they haven't proven themselves worthy of your trust. Uh, the third thing I'll say is uh, you should be self-sufficient. So if you're not going to, you know, rely on the government for this kind of stuff, then um, the more you can do to uh, avoid them, the better. You know, don't live in the big cities. Trust me, I love big cities. I love New York City. I would love to live in uh, New York City. I think it's way too dangerous. There's no way I would uh, would risk that. And uh, so, by being self sufficient, um, you know, you're 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 more susceptible to this kind of stuff, to government predation. If you're relying on them, uh, you know, if you need food or really if you need anything from the government, and so be prepared. Uh, become a prepper, become self-sufficient, be hard to kill, be hard to kill and, uh, and become ungovernable. So that's what you can do about this. In addition to knowing about it, because it is important to know about it. Sometimes all of these things just kind of, you know, get pushed through legislation and they kind of stack upon each other. Um, you know, until until one day, I guess they all come to fruition, but it's helpful to know all these things and to string them together into a narrative, which I, I hope I laid out for you here today, which you can see that there seems to be some nefarious intent behind some of the things that they're doing. 
So anyway, know about these things and become self-sufficient. Don't rely on the government. They're not going to be there when it comes time to help you. I can promise you that. Anyway, I do have a song. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, it's got to be a prison song, right? I was thinking, what are the great prison songs? And of course, Johnny Cash comes to mind, but it's a little too on the nose. I can't do that one. But I did get another one of the the other greatest of all times, and that is Merle Haggard, and the song I chose is Life in Prison. It's a great song by one of the greatest country artists of all time, truly one of the goats. So uh, I hope you enjoy the song. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please uh, take the opportunity to share it, uh, especially to those that you don't want uh, to end up in the camp with you. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much. Enjoy the song. We'll see you next time. The jury found the verdict first degree. They swore I planned her death to be. I prayed they'd sentence me to die. But they wanted me to live and I know why. For the wrongs I've done But I pray every night for death to come My life will be a burden every day If I could die, my pain might go away Insane with rage, I took my darling's life Because I loved her more than life My grief for her will last a long, long time But I'd rather die than live to lose my mind I've got life in prison for the wrongs I've done And I pray every night for death to come My life will be a burden every day If I could die, my pain might go away I could die